Well, welcome y'all to The Eight. We are in part two of a series titled After 33 AD, because all historians, everyone, regardless of your worldview, agrees that the events of 33 AD literally transformed every capacity and every aspect of the world, and we're highlighting different elements that have, that are products of the events that happened from the year 33 AD. And I want to talk about something um, maybe that we're all familiar with, which is baptism. So here are three different pictures. I know it doesn't show up super clear on the wall here, but here's a baptism in the Catholic uh, rite. Here's a baptism in the Orthodox rite. And here's um, a baptism in the Protestant rite. So there's an understanding in these three different expressions of Christianity that baptism is an integral part to being a follower of Jesus. Yes, does it look differently? Is there different theologies behind it? Yeah, possibly, but there is an understanding that baptism is an integral part to those who follow Jesus. And let me just start some, with some rhetorical questions here. Like, why is it even a thing in the first place? Like, why is baptism a thing in the first place? Like, why, like, why can't I just say, I love Jesus, and that's about it? Like, why on earth does it require, like, baptism? Well, why is it a thing? Like, why does it need to be a thing? So let me, I'm just kind of stating a rhetorical question, but I want us to think, and I want us to take a step back. Why is it a thing in the first place? Like, why do you need to do it? Is it just a photo op for babies? Is it just a step for adults to take? Where are two people that got baptized today? Where's James and Jenny? I'm going to put, so James is there. Where's Jenny? In the back. Okay, sorry, Jenny. I know you've had enough spotlight today, but I, I just want to. So you guys got baptized today. So why is it even a thing? Why did you guys take this big step um, in order to become an Orthodox Christian? Why are babies baptized? Like, they didn't choose to become Christians. So why is it even a thing in the first place? Are we just forcing a baby to, to follow this doctrine and this way of life? Are we just brainwashing a child that they have no other choice, that they have to become baptized? Like, why don't we wait until they become older, until they get to choose to become followers of Jesus? Why are we forcing babies to become baptized? Hold on to that thought. And here's a question that I, I feel is more common. Why is baptism the initial formal step to becoming a Christian? Like, I'll tell you how this question comes up a lot to me. Somebody who is not Orthodox wants to marry someone who is Orthodox. Why does that person have to become baptized into the Orthodox Church? Like, if they're already baptized into some Christian church, isn't that good enough? Or they say they're followers of Jesus, that's good enough. Like, why do we have to? Go, why do we have to go through all that formality for them to become baptized? Like, why is it? Why is it the, the initial step? Baptism is the initial step in order for us to participate in other aspects of the first-century church. Hold on to these questions. Let me speak to our head for a second. Let me speak to your head. Let me speak to your head. Here's something that you and I agree on. I think all of us agree on this statement. There is an external declaration for things that are of value or important to you. There is an external declaration that you and I make for things that are of value or are important to us. For example, I can say I'm married, but the external declaration of that, again, I'm speaking to your head right now for a second. What shows that external declaration is a ring. Like, like we didn't just, Sarah and I didn't just sit on the couch one day and says, you know what, let's make ourselves married right now. No, there has to be an external declaration. Even those who are not rooted in any type of worldview and just, you know, are, are just a couple, they have, there's no spirituality behind a couple. They would say, I, I asked them, like, why, why, are you, why are you wanting a, mar a wedding? And they say, we want to have a wedding to declare our love to each other, to other family and friends. 
So psychologically, just from the head, the innate in every human being is a desire to declare something publicly that is of value to us. If I won the Olympics, man, I would be carrying that medal. You would see me in liturgy with the, with the, with the, with the, with the medal on my chest all the time. Because I'm going to declare that thing all the time. I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to be wearing it all the time. Like every time you're talking to me, I'm going to just have it right next to my head. Because I wanna make, I'm going to make sure I declare to you all the time that I'm an Olympian and I want a gold medal. So I make that clear because it's a value to me. You and I do this. You get a new house, get a new car, get a new thing. All right? You want to make sure everyone knows. Uh, you want to see my new grill? You want to see my new whatever? Right? We, we don't say it in a childish way. You got to see my new thing. No. Wait, wait, we, but, but we, we, we post about it online. We make it public because of something that is of value to us. We want to make sure that we declare it. Another thing, let me speak to your head about this. You and I can agree the importance and the impact water has in the world. Just at a biological level for a second. We understand the importance of water, right? We can't make it that far without water. Majority of our body is made out of water. Majority of the world is made out of water. And even from the record that we have from the book of Genesis, the entire universe came from water. So we understand the importance of water at very different capacities. We use it for cleaning, to restore things, so forth and so on. So at every sense in the world, from a spiritual sense, from a physical, tangible, from a biological sense, we understand the importance of water. This is why many worldviews, not just the Christian worldview, many worldviews will use water as an element in their spirituality. And then we see in the Old Testament, God using through humanity the importance of water to restore, to cleanse, to give life, to give nourishment to his people. So we see from the get-go, God always using water as a source of nourishment to restore or to cleanse his people. And Jesus obviously made it super clear the importance of water. A common term that is used for 2,000 years in ancient Christianity, when it comes to the theology of baptism, is the word regeneration. Regeneration. All Christians would agree that baptism is not just about a physical expression of, just, of, 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 of someone going into water, but it is an external expression that reflects an internal truth. And a common term that is used in our prayers, for those who are paying attention to the baptism this morning, there, we are, there's a regeneration of taking James and Jenny and to restore them, to regenerate them, for them to have a spiritual birth. It's a common language, it's a common theology, it's a common term that's used for 2,000 years in ancient Christianity. There is this transfer of going from death to life. And to be honest, the entire Christian worldview is all about going from death to life, from old to new, from darkness to light. There is always this transfer that needs to happen. Yes, it happens through the sacraments of the church, but it also needs to happen on a daily rhythmic basis. There always needs to be a transfer. How am I taking off the old person and putting on the new? This has to be continuous. There always has to be this movement. A great missionary from the first century by the name of St. Paul the Apostle, he made a big point about this to early Jesus followers, to, or to people who were recently converted to becoming Jesus followers. And, G and St. Paul's trying to make it clear to them the importance of baptism. So he tells some Christians in the city of Rome, he tells them this. Don't you know, he's trying to speak to their head, he's like, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Doesn't make sense right now, stick with me. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What is St. Paul talking about? The mystery and mysticism and sacrament of baptism. He's saying, don't you know that it's not just water? Don't you know it's not just a photo op? Don't you know it's not just like donkey? It's not, it's not just that. It's death and life. Is you're putting to death an old person and re being regenerated into a new person. So he's trying to speak to their head, don't you know that it's more than just that? As I mentioned earlier, the question. I want to get married to my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever, and why do I need to be baptized into the Orthodox Church in order to marry him or her in the Orthodox Church? Why do I need to be baptized? There's baptisms, but for different things and for different reasons. So for 2,000 years, this ancient pre-denominational church has made it super clear. In order to put on a new sacrament, in order to move forward in marriage, we need to make sure that both understand and are both are anchored in the fullness of the first century church. That this is critical in order for both to move forward. It's not about checking a box to get baptized, but both have to be anchored in the same thing. And I know majority of you guys are, you know, not single, but let me, when I sit with people who are single or looking to get married, determine what's a priority for you. Like if, if, if the important thing for you is that person has to like spaghetti, Okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm not here to tell you, don't, don't make that a deal breaker. I'm not here to tell you that. But if, if spaghetti is a big thing, that person has to like spaghetti, I can't tell you not, not to make that a priority. But determine what's important for you in life. If, 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 for, if you want to make sure they have the same understanding of marriage and of life and the afterlife, if, if you want to make sure that both of you guys have the same understanding, make that clear from the get-go. This is why there has to be a constant, an anchor in order for both to move forward. I'm just speaking statistically. The most fulfilling marriages is when both are anchored in the same reality but now there is a drift in post-christian america that if we both like each other and we're both compatible we both have good chemistry whatever on earth that means but if both people are compatible then you know then we, we get married what does that mean what does that mean statistically speaking that leads to to just living as roommates and eventually leads into a drift but if both are anchored in the same reality there is always hope there is always hope in our marriages if both are anchored in the same truth of who Jesus is, the founder of marriage. But anywho, that's why baptism is critical, for both have to understand the same theology. And I'll be the first, I'm say this publicly. I tell people, don't go half and half between churches. Like, choose what your theology is and go. If it is going to be a, 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 an alternative to the fullness of Christianity, which is orthodoxy, Cool, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to say right or wrong. There, there is the organic expression of the church, which is the Orthodox church, but if you want to move in another church, I'm here to, like, I, I'm not gonna tell you one way or another, but I wanna make sure both of you guys are anchored in the same truth. If both of you guys, reality is both of you guys have to like spaghetti, I'm not here to tell you that's wrong. I think it's crazy, but like, you have to be anchored in a constant, which is the truth, the church, Jesus. This past week, today is Sunday, uh, when was it? I think Wednesday or Thursday. One of our high school students in our church invited me to go to his uh, Christian school. And it was really cool. Get this. So I went to his school, and it was a panel discussion between a Catholic priest, a Protestant pastor, and an Orthodox priest. 
And obviously, I was an Orthodox priest, and it was a panel of the three of us, two high school students. And they would ask us questions about different things, and it was really cool. I mean, it was really fascinating. But you know, I was extremely proud of being an Orthodox Christian. Do you know why at that moment? Because every question that came my way, my answer was not based off my head, was not based off, you know, something recent. I could say, well, hey, this is what the church has been doing from the first century. Uh, we know Saint XYZ said this in the third century. This is, the, this is how the church has expressed herself from the beginning. And I'm just part of this continuity. I'm part of this beautiful apostolic succession. And this is just the way it's been from day one. Since we're following Jesus, this is the way it's been done from 33 AD, and we're continuing that. So this is why, I, 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 this is why, this is why my answer is the way it is. And honestly, I'm, I'm not saying, forgive me, I'm not saying it in a prideful way. I was just proud that this was the framework of all my answers. Is that I, it's nothing I'm, I'm, I'm generating out of nowhere. I'm saying this is part of that beautiful continuity, and I'm part of it. And it, it existed before me. I'm part of it now, and it'll continue after me. And this, this, is the, this is the organic expression of the church. And I want to share with you a beautiful quote by someone by the name of Hippolytus uh, from Rome in the year... 231 AD, so approximately 200 years after Jesus ascended. Listen to these beautiful words he said. At the hour in which the crop crows, which in our language means the morning, at the hour in which the, crop, the cock crows, they shall first pray over the water. By the way, he's giving the rubric of how to do baptisms. He's talking about the importance, and he's giving the technicality behind baptisms. Just so you understand, like we didn't, it didn't come out of nowhere of how we do baptisms. Everything has a rhyme and a, uh, has a reason behind it, and it goes back to the early centuries. At the hour in which the cock crows, they shall first pray over the water. Then they come to the water, the water shall be pure and flowing. That is, the water of a spring or a flowing body of water. Then they shall take off all their clothes, the children shall be baptized first. Okay, obviously, for obvious reasons, there's two things in which we do not do now, which is no one gets baptized, no adult gets baptized naked, and um, there, we're not doing it over an open body of water, right? We're not going to Lake Alatuna, we're not going to like, you know, Mississippi. Like, we, we do it in a contained body of water for logistical reasons. But if you notice, he's saying from the get-go, from the morning, pray over the water. This is why in the Orthodox Church, the first prayers that we do is over the water. And that's the first segment of the prayers. It didn't just, it's not like somebody came out of that out of nowhere. This is how the church is doing. This is 200 years after Jesus. The church is, on, uh, there's already a rubric to how to do baptisms. All of the children who can answer for themselves, let them answer. If there are any children who cannot answer for themselves, let their parents answer for them or someone else from their family. After this, the men will be baptized. So he's, he's already giving a detailed order of how baptisms should occur. It's like, if the kids are old enough to say, I renounce you, Satan, let the kids say it. If the kids are old enough to say, I accept you, Jesus, my Savior, let the kids say it. And then let the men get baptized and let the, the women get baptized after that. So there's an order in which the church is, is making a clear. Why do, kids, why do kids have to get baptized? And let, let me make this clear. Parents. Do you give your kids, I don't want to put you on the spot, I do not tell my six-year-old, oh, you, you want to have another Snickers bar? You know what? If you think that's what's best for you, do that. Just go ahead and throw away the broccoli and the vegetables, just throw that away, and just go ahead and have another Snickers bar. Every time Ruth, my daughter, says, can I have chocolate, can I have candy, can I watch more TV, do I tell her, hey, Ruth, 
If that's your truth, you do it. Do I tell you that? I'll be crazy, right? There's going to be some police officer at my door if that's the way I parent. So we don't do that with any aspect of life when it comes to parenting. Parents, we do what's best for our kids even though their logic has not developed yet to fully understand. Right? I don't tell, oh, Ruth, you want to put your finger in the socket? Okay, do it. And that, that, if, if this is what makes you comfortable, you, you do it. No. I, I, I say, this is what you should do. This is what you should not do. Then later on, you'll understand. She doesn't understand nutrition of why chocolate is not good to eat at 8 a.m. She doesn't understand that yet. But I'm going to tell her no. And then as she matures and she grows, hey, when she's a teenager, when she's 20 years old, she, if she wants to eat chocolate at 8 a.m., be my guest. I'm not the one that's going to have diarrhea later. That's on you to decide if you want to have chocolate for breakfast. I don't, I don't choose that. You choose that. But at least in the beginning, I'm giving her the path that leads to nutritional health. I'm giving her the path that leads it. Then it's up to her if she wants to capitalize on that, continue to grow, continue to mature, understand more of nutrition, understand health, and for her to grow. That's up to her. But I have to do my part at least to tell her this is a A, this is an A. And then as she grows, then it's up to her to take ownership of that. This is why parents, the Orthodox Church baptizes children. Because we're not leaving it up to the kids and when they get older, then they decide. No, we equip them. And then it's up to them if they want to grow into that or not. We, we light a spark of the Holy Spirit being ignited within them. And then it's up to them if they want to continue to grow in that or not. That's totally up to them. If they want to mature and continue to grow as a follower of Jesus, that's up to them. But we equip them. If we do that for their physical health, we do that for their academic health. But when it comes to their spiritual health, we say, no, no, no. When they get older, they decide. This is how the church has done baptisms over the centuries. Oh, sorry, and then the last part, Hippolyta says this. Finally, the women, after they have unbound their hair and removed their jewelry, no one shall take any foreign object with themselves down into the water. So this is why, and sorry, Jenny, this is why I asked you if you can take off your jewelry before the baptism, because it, it's, it's, not, it's not a me thing. Like, this is what the church is doing. Because the, the water now has been sanctified for it to become life-giving, it, it, we, we need to give honor and reverence to how God is using this water to give new life. So it, it's nothing, is it the end of the world if Jenny went in with her earrings? Who cares? But it's out of the reverence is that we're going in with nothing. I'm taking my old self off and I'm going into, my wa into the water to be born out of the womb of the church as someone new. So it's not about the legalism, about who cares about that. It's not about that. But I'm taking off the old person and I'm putting on the new. Has anybody ever seen this, like, at a sports game or whatever? Like, you ever seen someone, like, holding a sign? Yeah, kind of, yeah. So, uh, so there's people, like, at sports games that hold up these signs and they hold up John 3.16. Maybe those who kind of grew up in the church, you've probably heard this verse multiple times. John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. And this is a common staple uh, verse. It's a powerful verse. It, it, and but sometimes we don't know the full context of this verse. This came from an encounter in which Jesus had with a, a skeptic who was also a Jewish leader, and his name was Nicodemus. And there was this encounter between this very prestigious Jewish leader with Jesus, and they had this conversation in the middle of the night. This is where we'll pick up. 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these, thing, do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So you see the reference that Nicodemus is giving him? He understands this is not just a typical rabbi. He's saying, you have to be more than just a rabbi. For you to be doing the things you've been doing around town, you have to be, there has to be something legit about you. And if you notice, Nicodemus is coming at night. You know why this is so relatable to us? He has his career and has position. He's interested in Jesus, but he wants to separate the two. You and I are here because of our interest in Jesus, to some degree or another. But we want to keep that separate maybe than our Friday night activities. We want to keep that separate than happy hour. We want to keep that separate than my friends from work or from school. We do a good job separating. We will never post something about our faith on social media. We'll post about other things, but we want to keep it separate, right? So Nicodemus wanted to keep this separate. His interest in Jesus, he wanted to keep it separate from the other aspects of his life. This is why for many of us, we fall into a trap of wanting to live that dual life. I'm this type of person on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, definitely Friday, Saturday, I'm a completely different person. Different type of group of people, I say different types of jokes, I have different type of language, and we end up living the, this double life. So we get, we get, we understand. So let's not judge Nicodemus for coming at night because we get it. He's wanting to take a step toward Jesus, he's curious, but he doesn't want it to impact every aspect of his life. He still wants the fun and the games and whatever, but he doesn't want it to interfere. He wants to keep both separate. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You see how Jesus kind of took, here's, here's Nicodemus' comment at night, hey, Jesus, you know, and you're probably in a corner, night, you know, there's no electricity, so no one can really see them. And Nicodemus asked them, well, what was the question that Nicodemus asked them? No one can do these signs unless you're from God. He's just saying, are, are you like, are you legit God? Like Nicodemus is asking. And all of a sudden, Jesus kind of takes the conversation in a different direction. He says, very truly I tell you, basically, Listen up, Nicodemus, just put your phone down, hear what I'm about to say. Very surely I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Very logical, physical, biological question. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's thinking logic. He's thinking physical birth. And Jesus transcends that to talk to him about a mystery. Jesus answered again, hear me out, Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. There has to be a visible element and an invisible element. There has to be physical and things that are invisible, water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. So, so Jesus is kind of telling Nicodemus, you get this. You understand there's more to logic than what we're able to physically see. So you're born physically, you get this. You see the physical birth of a child. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that transcends those limitations. He gives them this, this is the example Jesus gives them. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see how beautiful Jesus is? See how pastoral he is? He talks to his head. He says, come on, the wind can you tell me where it's coming from? Can you tell me where it started, where it's ending? No, but you definitely feel the wind. You get it. So you tell me in the same way. You have to be born spiritually through water and through spirit. Can you understand how someone going into water, th there's an old person, and coming out of it is a resurrection of a new person? Do you, you get that logically? No, 
So why is wind any different? So God is saying, Jesus is saying, trust me in this mystery. It transcends the limitations of man, what is happening in this mystery. And Nicodemus responds, how can this be? He continues to lean in toward Jesus more. You know what was the story? What happened with Nicodemus after this point? We don't know that much. But we do see him again at the death of Jesus. And Nicodemus, that same guy who at first came to Jesus by night, that guy, he also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. That same man who walked away from that conversation with Jesus earlier, probably not the happiest guy in the world because it wasn't the answer he expected to hear from Jesus of him having to be born again. It's not the answer he wanted. He wanted something easy, something he can hold on to. We see him again taking down the body of Jesus from the cross. We see him following Jesus, not just being a fan, not passively, but going all in. It's hard sometimes to talk about baptism and say, yeah, yeah, that's like a, that's what happened when I was a kid or that happens to other people or we just kind of throw it away. But the beautiful thing of this ancient church, the church gives us various services and expressions to renew our baptism. I remember when we first started doing, we started doing adult baptisms here. Some people would ask, hey, can I, that was so powerful, can I get baptized again? I'm already an Orthodox Christian, can I be baptized again? I said, no, like you're, you're already baptized, you don't get baptized again. But the church gives us opportunities to renew our baptism. Every time there is water involved in any type of service, especially at the end of liturgy, and the priest is blessing the people with water, it's, it's, it's not just about the water, but when I'm, when I'm participating in any service that involves water, the church is telling me, renew your baptism. Know where you came from. Know that you have been grafted into the church. Know that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit within you. Know that you have been regenerated. Know that you, know that you have been made new and the old is gone. Every time there is any type of water in any type of service, the church is reminding us of that in the liturgy of the water in which we do during Holy Week and other times. Every liturgical service and when we receive the water at the end, it's a reminder of that. There's a beautiful quote, I cannot remember who said this, but even there's a church father who said, even when I bathe or I wash, my, uh, when I wash anything with water, I'm reminded to, to wash my soul as well. Every time he's touching water, every time he's involving with water, he, he, he's giving a meditation saying, I'm not just washing this cup, I need to wash my soul as well. How beautiful is that? Imagine if we lived a life of, like that, a, a repentant heart and repentant life through the life of the church, through baptism. So please, if you have been baptized already, renew your baptism, that today is a new day. For us, to, we, this is why I make a big deal of us to come and, and attend adult baptisms, because we are renewing ourselves through their baptism. There's a command that the church gives those who have been baptized. There's a command. And sorry, Jenny James, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot. So come, come, come hither. Don't worry, you're not in trouble. I'm just, it's okay. You guys baptized in front of the whole church, and now you're all hesitant. Yeah, give them a hand. So if you guys want to take, take those two chairs, and you guys sit together. You guys can sit on those stools. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you, you guys can sit next to each other. I want to share with you guys 
um, a command that the church gives. This, this goes back to the early centuries. Commands that the church gives those who have been baptized. So I'm going to read to you guys this command that the church gives those who have been baptized. Actually, uh, that's okay. James, if you don't mind, just click for me. I'm just going to read from my iPad, but you can follow along. Just the big button to click along as, as you follow along on the screen. And yes, this is for Jenny and James, but let, let this also be a reminder for us who have already been baptized. And for those who are looking to be baptized, see with clarity how the church elevates the mystery of baptism. Blessed brethren, James and Jenny, understand the amount of dignity which you have obtained, for you have been counted among the elect and the grace which was bestowed upon you. You now have been counted among the Christians by the pure baptism that was commanded by the Savior of the world. You have been counted among the Christians by the pure baptism that was commanded by the Savior of the world, as the chosen and pure apostles have testified, that after the holy resurrection, he appeared to them and sent them to all nations to preach, saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Today, my beloved, you have become heir of life with Christ the Master. Today you have received the pledge of life and have become rooted in the true and orthodox faith. The day on which you were born, you were a slave and not free, but today you have become a conqueror over the plots of the wicked. Did you not hear the fearful and awesome words that were told you about the holy baptism? Did you not answer saying, I renounce you, Satan, and all your unclean works? Did you not turn yourself toward the east and submit to the Lord, saying, We believe in one God, God the Father, the Pantocrator, and his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, confessing his Holy Spirit, being baptized by the one baptism in his holy church, hearkening to his divine sayings and the holy gospel on the tongues of his pure and saintly apostles? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, my beloved, understand that you have received a holy, pure, and spiritual baptism, and that he, God, will ask you if you neglect your discipline and restoration from unacceptable circumstances. Be diligent in learning the holy scriptures which are the breath of God and attending church services in the mornings and evenings and fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, the holy 40-day fast and all the fasts and in keeping the church laws and apostolic commands. You now have become worthy to partake of the holy and divine mysteries which are the body and blood of the Son of God that was shed for the salvation of the creation. Guard yourself and do not go to unsuitable places so that the Lord may guard you from satanic temptations. Cultivate inside you beautiful qualities. Plant within you righteousness and praise. Pour inside you purity. Plant within you obedience, love, and holiness. Plant within you compassion, charity, and justice. Cultivate within you godliness, patience, and goodness. Plant within you honesty and every good work that pleases God so that your soul may live. You have received this gift according to the law, and the priest of God and the church have witnessed on you to be diligent in learning with integrity and reverence that you may boast the utmost boasting. Learn the acceptable ways of God so that your conduct may be acceptable, satisfactory, and enlightened. 
Build yourself upon the strong foundation of goodness. Avert from interacting with the ungodly, the lecherous, the evildoers, and the wicked, and from participating in their entertainment, amusement, and mockery. Hold fast the spiritual teachings in the best way. Learn the fear of God and His revered commands. Grow spiritually according to a plan and sound order. Do not neglect your catechism like the wicked and lazy servant who neglected his talent, but be diligent that you may hear his voice saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. May God make you a brethren who are listening profitable in your talents through the grace of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we ask to make us steadfast in the upright faith to the last breath, to forgive us our sins and remit our iniquities, to cover our oversights, to help us to do what is pleasing to him, and to crush Satan under our feet speedily. May he make the gates of his church open for us and make us hear the voice full of joy saying, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Through the intercession of Our Lady, the Lady of us all, Virgin Mary, and all those who have pleased the Lord with their good deeds since Adam and to the end of ages. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you have given us such a beautiful mystery of baptism to renew us, to restore us. Lord, we know that your ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we reduce the mysteries of the church to just being check boxes and just thinking it's just water. But Lord, we know that you are the giver of life to restore us and to, to restore us to who you have designed us to be. Lord, we pray for James and Jenny as they begin this beautiful journey of being Orthodox Christians. Graft them into your church through this mystery this morning and for them to continue to grow, to follow you in every capacity. Through the prayers of your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.